0: Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online in our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message.
1: O God, let your spirit fall upon this place and guide us toward love. Extract wisdom from my failing words and lead us deeper into the work that you've given us, deeper into love and liberation. Amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, He leads me. still waters, green pastures. Psalm 23 is one of the quintessential comfort texts. It hangs on kitschy little signs in people's homes. It's on the cover of sympathy cards and decorative posters in little parishes all around the world. It's usually white Jesus holding a little baby lamb or something in a grassy field by still water. It's so ubiquitous It's pervasive and it's familiar, and we take it for granted. Its comfort is automatic. Its reliability is its power. But I want to begin this reflection with an unsettling question. What if there were no green pastures to lie down in, or still waters to rest beside or drink from? What if we return to that pre-creation chaos of nothing, of welter and waste? We usually metaphorize or spiritualize this text, and even so-called biblical literalists do the same, as if it's really a kind of immaterial spiritual plane, a utopia, a no place that doesn't require the existence of actual streams or actual healthy soil and growing things, but when we do this, the text becomes divorced from the lands. Yet for ancient authors, their understanding of spiritual peace and comfort could not be separated from the natural world as ours so often is. They didn't live in industrial centers, concrete jungles, or suburban developments. The natural world was their home and their means of survival. Actually, most of the Hebrew Bible is about the land, negotiating its meaning, exploring the meaning of God in community in terms of the land. The natural world is often personified or anthropomorphized in so many interesting ways as a lover, as a friend, a mother, a provider with whom people had a profound and personal relationship. So when the psalmist imagines the peace and serenity of pastures in still water, they're imagining communion with their source of life, a loved one, a gift giver. The natural world is itself a character in the text and in the drama of Scripture, not just a setting, not just a prop. It lives and dies and speaks and responds and reciprocates and is tangled up in a mutual destiny. With humanity. Think about who we are in the text. If the Lord is my shepherd, then what am I? Someone want to answer? Sheep. Exactly. I'm a sheep, dependent on this land and water, and I am myself a created thing, not set apart from creation, but another iteration of creation itself. But we've imagined that humans are more like gods than creatures. As if we were of another kind, standing outside and above the rest of creation. When in fact there isn't a moment, a drop, a crumb of our lives that aren't dependent on this complex, interrelated movement of the non-human world. The problem is that Christians read the creation story and get cocky. We were created last, so that makes us better, right? We're the pinnacle of creation, some have said. But no, even if it worked like that, Sabbath would be the pinnacle of creation. We see how much respect that gets. No, actually, the rabbis said that we are the youngest of creation. We came into the world late. After everything was already here, we came into the world without the wisdom of stars the oceans, the trees, and the skies. We aren't the pinnacle of creation. We're just another part of it. And we are the younger sibling of every created thing. So what hubris it is when we take advantage of the gifts of the natural world, when we take too much, when our desire for profit or comfort, or pleasure leads us to exploit the vulnerable things of this world that have not yet learned to protect themselves from our apocalyptic violence. That hubris leads to the destruction of everything, including ourselves. Meaning that the green pastures turn dry and dead from scorching heat, or are torn apart by the monstrous claws of tractors, or blown to pieces by mining ventures, meaning that those still waters are poisoned by fracking, made acidic by waste, the home and life source of so many creatures made an agent of death. Again, what if there were no green pastures to lie down in or still waters to rest beside or drink from? If the grass is graying, fraying, drying, and burning up, if poison is seeping into the water, toxifying land, plant, and animal, what can we do as individuals to address our fractured and disordered relationship to creation and contribute to its protection and healing? We have to begin by reconfiguring that relationship. And one of the reasons that I think Christians have such bad ecology is because of Genesis three twenty-six, which says... Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Historically, we've heard that word rule and imagined an authoritarian who has absolute power over their subjects. But what model of rulership is that? What are we taking our cue from? Rather than see this rulership as the rulership of a king, a patriarch, a tyrant, or a dictator, perhaps we should attend to the vision of Psalm 72, which says this. Endow the ruler with your justice, O God, the royal child with your righteousness. May they judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May they defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May they crush the oppressor. May they endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. May they be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In their days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. This is closer to the kind of rulership that God imagines. A position of responsibility to all of creation. A way of being and moving that makes everything flourish. Where one's very self is like the rain that falls on the flowers and crops and waters the animals. So how do we become that? Robin Wall Kimmerer, an indigenous woman and plant scientist at a SUNY college wrote the best-selling book, Braiding Sweetgrass, some of you might have read, and offers an alternative orientation toward creation, summarized by certain indigenous rules of honorable harvest. She says, Know the ways of the ones who take care of you, so that you may take care of them. Introduce yourself. Be accountable as the one who comes asking for life. Ask permission before taking. Abide by the answer. Never take the first, never take the last. Take only what you need. Take only what is given. Never take more than half. Leave some for others. Harvest in a way that minimizes harm. Use it respectfully. Never waste what you have taken. Share. Give thanks for what you've been given. Give a gift and reciprocity for what you've been given. Sustain the ones who sustain you and the earth will last forever. The deer, the sturgeon, the berries, and the leeks say, if you follow these rules, we will continue to give our lives so that you may live. And then Kimmerer quotes a student of hers who says, you sound like my grandmother back in my village in Turkey. I will tell her she must have a sister here in the United States. The honorable harvest is her way too. In her house, we learned that everything we put in our mouths Everything that allows us to live is the gift of another life. I remember lying with her at night as she made us thank the rafters of her house and the wool blankets we slept in. My grandma wouldn't let us forget that these are all gifts, which is why you take care of everything, to show respect for that life. In my grandmother's house, we were taught to kiss the rice. If a single grain fell to the ground, we learn to pick it up and kiss it, to show we meant no disrespect in wasting it. Reciprocity is the key here, I think. Capitalism has reduced the meeting of so many of our basic needs to financial exchanges, and so our dependency on the natural world is concealed. It all happens behind the impenetrable wall of mass production and other people's invisibilized labor. But we have to tear down that wall, clarify what has been obscured, and honor the gifts of the created order because we are responsible to creation. And so we return to Genesis 3 and Psalm 72. A final thought as I close. In 2019, a report released by Durham and Lancaster University found the US military to be, quote, one of the largest climate polluters in history, consuming more liquid fuels and emitting more CO2 than most countries, end quote. We know that climate change won't be curbed without addressing the voracious appetites of corporations or the ecological violence of our military. And if corporations and the military are committed to violent cooperation to advance mutual interests and control over land and resources, climate activists and militants have committed to defending the Earth with the same intensity. You may have heard of the Animal Liberation Front, or the Earth Liberation Front, among other groups, who attempt to interrupt catastrophic extraction by any means necessary, destroying destructive machinery and putting their bodies in front of bulldozers and bullets in order to protect living things. The Dakota Access Pipeline comes to mind for many. But earlier this year, an example of this clash took place in Atlanta, as the city has been trying to build a police training center on 380 acres of forest that is one of the four lungs of Atlanta, as it were, and functions as, quote, a watershed surrounded by primarily black residents who overwhelmingly oppose the project. The plans include military-grade training facilities, a mock city to practice urban warfare, dozens of shooting ranges, and a Black Hawk helicopter landing pad. A young non-binary indigenous forest defender, Tortuita, was killed by police trying to clear the land for construction. Police said that Tortuita had shot at them first, planted a service firearm near their body, but autopsy proved that Tortuita had been shot 57 times with their hands raised. Capitalism, imperialism, anti-blackness, and ecocide are all intertwined. And our opposition to that violence must be equally organized. So this morning I offer this label, Creation Liberation Front, as a project that each of us might informally commit to. To be a part of the Creation Liberation Front is to be committed to the health and flourishing of all of creation. It's to take seriously our charge to be stewards of what we've been given by God to interrupt and antagonize the forces of violence that would destroy the vulnerable things we've been asked to protect and to change in ourselves our attitudes and our habits around our own consumption. I'm not saying we have to go out and blow up pipelines, but we each have our role, figure out what yours is, let's figure out what ours is as a community, and let's be the creation-liberation front. Dedicated to the protection and liberation of all the precious and beautiful things on this earth. Because what if there were no green pastures to lie down in? Or still waters to rest beside or drink from? While we may be hurtling towards that future, we have something to say about it. Because there is hope in collective struggle. There is hope in the people And in a God who loves their creation, there's a divine commitment to the restoration of all things, as we read in that unspeakably beautiful Revelation text. A river giving life to all of creation. A tree with leaves for the healing of the nations. A world in which there are no more tears and no more death. Where the lion lies down with the lamb where creation no longer groans under strain and pain, but the trees clap their hands and the rocks cry out in praise, where people kiss the grains of rice they honorably harvest. This is the future towards which we struggle. Gather your resolve this morning and recommit to this work. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com/slash-first-church-brooklyn, all one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.